We have been talking over the past few weeks of Awaking Up. Our series has been called Awaken. And what we've been talking about is understanding that God has really called us to do something good here. And God is really calling all of us to be together and to worship together because He has a greater purpose involved for us. And so we've been talking about waking up our spiritual senses so we can see and acknowledge when God is calling us to do something and so that we can move upon that calling, uh, not wait, not hesitate. And so what we're going to start this week, and and we're starting with this series, You Don't Have to Be So Mean, is we're going to start talking about how we have to operate in those moments when God finally calls us. So we get the awakening, we understand the calling, we see the things that God is asking us to do, and now we're going to start talking about how we need to operate, how we need to be in those moments. And the number one thing that I want to talk to you about, if you're ready for me, the number one thing I want to talk to you about is grumpiness. Whatever. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, no, Trudy, I promise I had nothing to do with that. <clears throat> it, grumpiness and complaining, because I want to tell you something. We live in a society where complaining uh, is our birthright, right? We can't wait for that mistake to happen so we can complain about it. We can't wait for the person we're having a conversation with to say something wrong so we can correct them. We can't wait to be the smartest guy in the room or the funniest guy in the room or the quickest wit in the room. Or we can't wait to be that person that corrects or vilifies or condemns or comes down on people. For some reason in our society, we get a real kick out of being the bad guy, right? We watch shows where the people who are the meanest are the funniest, right? It's, it's, it's ingrained in us. It's in our DNA. Everyone who is able to quickly destroy the person across from the table, they're the ones we want to be friends with. They're the ones who are going to be powerful. They're the ones who are going to be successful. That's how we have to operate. That's how we live our lives. And if everything in this society or in this world or in this church doesn't conform to exactly how I want it to fit my life, then I complain. Then I get on it, right? Now, hear me out. You don't fix it. You just want somebody else to do it, right? And and I'm not talking about, maybe I am. Specifically this church, but maybe I am. If you're feeling guilty today, it's the Holy Spirit, it ain't me. Uh, But it's how we operate. And let me tell you something. I have friends, very good friends of mine, that we refuse to go out to eat with. We will not go out with them. We will hang out with them at their house anytime they want. But I will not go in public with them. And let me tell you why. Every single time, and there's been a lot of them, right? Every single time we go out to eat with these people, you know what happens? Something's wrong. Something gets sent back. And Sarah and I put our hands in our face because they start complaining. And it's this huge event because my butter wasn't quite cinnamony enough. Right? And we laugh about it, but let me tell you something. That is how we work sometimes, right? We are so on edge and so ready to pounce at those moments when things aren't exactly the way that we want them that they begin to affect every single area of our life all the way to the point of we're at a restaurant where we're paying for service and so therefore we demand that we be king. Right? And, and, and so we demand that these things work exactly right just for us. And how dare you make a mistake? 
Or how dare you not get it just right? Your entitlement died at the cross. Your entitlement died at the cross, but for some reason we don't get that. That's the part of Christianity that we want to leave behind because, and and let me tell you something, I've heard this a hundred thousand times, and and you know what, I may be wrong about this, but there are a lot of people that tell you, Scripture tells you to be mild, but you better not be weak. Scripture tells you that the last are first, but that doesn't really mean what you think it does. Scripture tells you that Jesus came here to become man, to become slave. But he was a warrior, destroying people with his mighty sword of truth. There's, there's two sides of this, and so some of us get caught in this middle gap in between, and we want to be meek and mild Christians, but then again, we don't want the world to walk over us, right? We want to be able to, to speak how, how we feel about things. We want to be able to talk about our faith without feeling that we have to be. So what I want to explain to you today is this. I'm going to talk to you exactly and only from Scripture, and I'm going to give to you the way that I define these scriptures. And what I want you to do is to pray about this. Because for all of us, these things are going to be interpreted in a different way. The Holy Spirit is going to tell you something maybe different from what the Holy Spirit is telling me about this. But I will tell you this. I believe strongly about this scripture that we're about to read. And I believe that it does say something very specifically. And so I'm going to teach you from what I believe it says very specifically. And for a lot of us, it's going to take a lot of confession and a lot of time in our lives to change that pattern because we've been brought up that way. We've been raised that way. And so it's something that we really have to work on in order to change in our lives. Does that make sense? Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. If you've gotten anything at all, out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care. Now, what's Paul doing here? He's starting, right, and he's saying, listen, if Jesus has ever done anything for you, and then he thinks to himself, now some of you are going to weasel out of this. So then he says, if you are a part of this Christian community that cares, and then he starts thinking, y'all still going to weasel out of this. So he narrows it all the way down to what I love. If you care, or if you have a heart. In other words, this is for all of you. Then do me a favor. Here it is. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. What's that mean to be a deep-spirited friend? That means it's a whole lot more than just saying, welcome to One Love Church. Here's your bulletin. Right? Deep-spirited means I want to be invested in your life. I want to be invested in your life. I want to fellowship with you. I want to eat dinner with you. How many times have you been a part of a Christian community, and this may be one of them, But there are people around you you just don't want to fellowship with. You don't want to be deep-spirited with. Because they're just flat-out cranky. 
or mean. And you begin to ask yourself, what's wrong with them? But here's the part you never think about. They get in their little minivan on the way home from church and they think, what's wrong with you? There's something wrong with you. You're cranky to them. You're mean to them. To be deep-spirited means you move beyond all that surface tension. And you get to the heart of the matter. The relationship, the intimacy with those people who are sitting next and near to you. Those of you who are marriages today, you know what I'm talking about. Intimacy, no, no day. Intimacy gets deep. Because you're going to have to learn how to communicate. Or you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Right? It's the same thing in our church family. What Paul's saying here is, listen, you've got to learn how to communicate or you're going to be in trouble. You have to build friendships and relationships that go much further than your little how you doing today. Or your little one-handed one, one uh, <laughs> hug. Agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. What? There's got to be something wrong there, right? Push yourself aside and help others get ahead. Am I the only one that stumbled by this? Because my entire life it's been push the others down and get yourself up there. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. This yesterday, my son and I, we were at the Wayne football game. And um, for those of you who don't know, Wayne had a game last night because they play a, a team from Canton. It's actually my dad's alma mater from Canton, Ohio. Every year they play them, and, and every year they've gone up there or they've gone to Columbus at Ohio State to play them. Well, this year they actually came here, and so they can only come on a Saturday because of the drive, and so they get down here, and sure enough, one minute into the second quarter, we get that torrential downpour that we got last night. So the game is canceled. About 11.45, they pick back up, and the game finally ends at 1 o'clock in the morning. But we're there. It's, it's about midnight, and I have my son, Jaden, sitting next to me. And um, is Jaden in here? Okay, I can talk about him. But don't tell him because then I owe him a dollar. But Jaden <laughs> <Jayden, clears throat> is sitting there, and we have this towel that we've wiped our seats with. And this family comes over, and they go to sit down. And Jaden points at him, and he says, Dad, you know, maybe they can use the towel. And I said, here, Jay, give him the towel. And this fear came over him, right? Because now I have to talk to people I don't know and give them the towel. Well, he froze and he just sat there with the towel in his hands and he's looking at them and they're wiping their seat with their hands. And I said, uh, excuse me, guys, do you want to use our towel? And the lady says, oh, no, that's okay. And she actually pulls out a towel that they had and they wipe their seats off. And Jay looks at me and he goes, see, we didn't have to help him anyway. <laughs> Well, let me tell you, a lot of us treat those moments in that exact same way. 
Because we are so trained and it's so ingrained in us for us to get ahead. That in those moments where there's something that we have that we could give someone else, there's a service that we can provide even in that simple moment and we, and we get scared and we get sheltered and, and we decide not to reach out or we decide not to say something or we decide not to take that moment. I turned to my son and you know what I told him? I said, Jay, never be afraid to help. Never be afraid to help. And that's what we all have to remember. And that's what Paul is saying here right now. Never be afraid to help. Never be afraid to take that moment. Never be afraid to pause your life so that others can excel. Never be afraid to be least. Never be afraid to be last. Most of us in our lives have learned our deepest life teachings in moments when we were last. So don't fear that moment. Don't be afraid of that moment. As Paul is saying, forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Verse 5, think of yourselves the way Jesus Christ thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity, and took on the status of a slave. He became human. And having become human, he stayed human. Right? So here is Jesus, who is God, who is deity, and he becomes human. And unlike most of us in that moment, who would have stood up and put on our royal crown and would have condemned everyone around us, for the way they were treating us and for not listening to us or not believing us or maybe trying to kill us, who would have rose from that cross and sent down his legions of angels. Jesus decides to stay human. He decides to stay a slave to that body and that form and that humanity. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, here you go, because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow and worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. What reward do you seek? What reward do you seek? What reward makes you feel good? Gives you satisfaction? Makes you feel powerful? What reward is it that you seek? What Jesus understood that all of us get wrong, we tend to forget that heavenly reward, that eternal satisfaction, not this momentary one. 
And we live our lives in a way that we can get these momentary satisfactions. We live our lives in a way that we can reach out. And, and even sometimes when we help people, we only do it because it makes us feel good. Right? Or maybe because it glorifies us. We're only going to go out as a church if we can get our name front and center. You know, I, Greg and I say all the time when we're at the Wayne game, they got the big scoreboard. Roy's like, dude, we got to get on that scoreboard. We got to get on the scoreboard. That's kind of how we run life sometimes. We, we got to get our name out there. We got to be front and foremost. We got to be the one who did that. We got to be the one who was there. We got to be the guy that has all the stories. We got to be the, what's the guy, the most incredible person on earth or whatever that guy is, right? That's how we want to live our lives. That's how we want to be who we are. And that's how, for some reason, it's ingrained in us that we have to do life. And what Christ understood was, it's not about the moment, momentary reward. It's about the eternal reward. It's not about how your uh, little buddy at work is going to look at you. It's about how God looks at you. It's not about whether or not you get the financial satisfaction that you think you deserve. It's about whether or not God sees you do the things he demands of you. Those things are so easy for us to reject and get rid of. So what's the point? Verse 12. What I'm getting at, friends, is that you should simply keep on doing what you've done from the beginning. Why does he say this? Because Paul is teaching the Philippians here something that, let's just be honest, they do pretty good right? It's something that they look at themselves and they say, we're pretty good at this already. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, you are doing a good job, but don't stop doing that good job. He says, when I was living among you, you lived in responsive obedience. What is responsive obedience? What is sluggish obedience? We all know that one, right? Responsive obedience means when we see or when we hear, we move. When we see or when we hear, we move. Responsive obedience equals changed lives by loving. Changed lives by loving. How do we do this? Paul says, be energetic in your life of salvation. Be reverent and sensitive before God. Because that energy is God's energy. An energy deep within you. God himself willing and working at what will give who the most pleasure? Give you the most pleasure? So wait a minute. God gets the glory? You see, there's the difference and there's our crossover. What God is concerned with, and, and this may shake you up a little bit. This may shake your foundation a little bit. May make you feel a little insecure, but get ready for this. You ready? God is worried about you giving him the glory. Not you getting yours. If you look at his amazing journey with the Israelites, do you know when they butted heads every single time? When the Israelites wanted the glory, when the Israelites started to complain, when the Israelites started to grumble, when the Israelites started to say, well, these things aren't the way that we want them. These things don't make us feel comfortable enough. These things don't feed us the way that we should be fed. We're not getting water at the time we want to get water. So Moses, get out there and hit that rock. But what God is concerned about is that God receives the glory. Not you, baby birds. Not me. But God receives the glory. Responsive obedience acts 
It loves. It's willing. It will last. It is free. It does forgive. It does step back. It does surrender. It's not always pushing to the front, but it is letting others move. Even if I have to be the one, watch out, who helps pick you up. Even if it means, Lord, please don't ever let this happen, someone other than me gets the glory. Even if it means someone other than me gets the paycheck. Even if it means I may never get the life that as a child I grew up thinking I deserved or I demand. Verse 14, do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering, no second guessing allowed. The New American Standard, the most direct translation says, no grumbling or complaining. Go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and the living God. Carry the light living message into the night so that I'll have good cause to be proud of you on that day when Christ returns. What's Paul saying this? Paul is saying this. When you live a life full of complaining, full of grumbling, full of demanding, full of pulling and pushing, full of forcing your way, when you live a life that way, people look at you and the last thing they see is an unpolluted, God-fearing person. Because for you to be successful in that way, you got to stab backs, right? you got to stomp on people. You got, you got to complain. You got to outright just be mean. Because that is the way that we do things. That's the way that our society works. Responsive obedience. Greg, somebody's practicing drums back there. <laughs> Responsive obedience, number one, it doesn't complain, it moves. It doesn't complain, it moves. Let me tell you something that Jesus did. And it's, it's the favorite story that people want to talk about when we start talking about being mild-mannered, right? People start to talk about, well, Jesus tipped the tables, right? Jesus went out there and ripped all those cages open and kicked over the tables and condemned those men to hell. No. It's not what happened. Let me tell you what did happen. Jesus corrected and taught Jesus corrected and taught. Responsive obedience doesn't complain, it moves. It doesn't sit there and say, I want it that way, I need it that way, you can do better, you need to be better for me, for me, for me, change, get better, work better, serve me better. What responsive obedience does is it moves. It sees something that needs to be fixed and it moves to fix the issue. Because if I've got enough time to complain about the issue, I've definitely got enough time to fix the issue. Responsive obedience isn't just about pointing out all those things that I don't like. It's about changing the things that I don't like. Because typically what happens is the Holy Spirit will lay upon your heart and say, hey, listen, I got a better idea, or I got a better way, or why don't you do it this way? And so he lays it on your heart, and what we like to do is, is we kind of like to be like Jay with that towel. And we like to sit back with that towel and see those things that need to get done, but, but just never quite wipe that chair off. Responsive obedience 
doesn't grumble, it's sensitive. There is a difference between grumbling and complaining. Complaining, we all understand. Grumbling is personal. Grumbling is personal. Grumbling is when I see something about you that's a little bit different. Like right now, let me ask you this. How many of you are complaining about the word doesn't? <laughs> let me tell you something. This right here is a simple exercise. It's easy. In a moment, a word misspelled has completely distracted you. Because, let me tell you why though. Because, <laughs> Sammy, you really got to start listening. Because it's ingrained in us. Now, I'm going to tell you something about this. My wife can't spell. I'm just kidding, that was totally me. That wasn't even her. But I told her I was going to pawn that off on her. So let me just, I'm throwing myself at your mercy, honey. Intimacy, into me you see. Into me you see. Uh, number two. Where do you want to go to dinner, honey? Number two. That's right. You got that right, Dave. You got that right. I'm sweating. I'm sweating up here. <laughs> Number two, it doesn't grumble, it's sensitive, like I just was. Follow my lead on that one. Follow my lead, right, baby? Right, honey? <clears throat> so typically, what we are quick to do, truthfully, in the church, sometimes we're worse than this than anybody else, is to badmouth the people that are around us usually because we're not getting our way. We badmouth those people that maybe are teaching the class that secretively we kind of wanted to teach. Or maybe we saw them get greeted in a way that we kind of wanted to be greeted. Right? Or maybe their kids just seem to get more attention than my kids. And so we, we talk about people behind their backs. Are we just politely... Throw these little darts at them. You know what I'm talking about. We often use that nice little forum called Twitter or Facebook to say these little things about people that only our friends know what we're talking about. Number three, responsive obedience isn't polluted, it's fresh air. Responsive obedience isn't polluted, it's fresh air. If you are that person that when you walk around people, they all automatically go, you're not fresh air. Because typically a person who is fresh air, when they get around people, people go, right? They want to breathe you. They want to be a part of what you're doing. They want to be a part of what you're living. And so therefore, they want to see the example of Christ that you're being. Jesus was fresh air. It's, it's a reason why so many men and women constantly followed him or chased to be where he was. Let me tell you what else it does. For people who are breathing corrupt air, for people who love to live on corrupt air, when they get a small taste of that fresh air, do you know what they do sometimes? They fight it because it's different and it's strange. And it's exactly what happened with Christ. 
People who are fresh air, let me tell you what happens. You're going to be black and white. There's going to be hot and cold. There is no middle mean. That's why God said, if you're in the middle, I'm going to puke you out of my mouth. You really have no part of me. What he's saying is this. You know, I believe at one point he also said, you are like poop. Right? It's in there, I'm telling you. What God is saying is this. There is no middle mean. There is no middle way. You're either fresh air or you're corrupt. You're either polluted or you're living right. You're either an example or you're a distraction. Responsive obedience is fresh air. And finally, responsive obedience isn't consumed by darkness, but full of good living. You're not consumed by darkness, but full of good living. As you're living your life on a daily way, you're either going to be noticing all the things that are negative, or you're going to start noticing all the things that are good. Responsive obedience notices the good. It's the one that steps back when it comes to the negative. It's the one that doesn't have to be the complainer. It's the one that doesn't have to be the guy that's always getting it my way. Or the guy whose name is always front and center. It's simply a matter of being kind. I want to show you a video from an instructor of being kind. Watch this. Hello, my name is Sophia, and, t- and today I like you to be kind. Choose to be kind, even if they're mean to you. Just be kind. Smile at someone. Give someone a hug. If Isabella is mean to me, I could just say, Isabella, please stop. But don't say, Isabella, stop! Isabella, stop! Isabella, stop! Isabella, stop! Don't say that. You say, Isabella, please stop. And you smile at her. And then she'll smile back. Sometimes she smiles first and I smile back. It's good to smile at someone. Especially for sad. That will make me happy or someone else happy. Be kind! Be kind. You can do it. Don't be shy. Be kind. So please choose to be kind today. Bye. Now, you can listen to me preach for an hour and go home and be the exact same, but you can't watch that little girl say that for 15 seconds and go home and be the exact same. Let me tell you why pure air, right? That's fresh air. That's, that's simple obedience, not just responsive obedience. When Jesus said, come unto me like one of them, that's what he meant. Be kind. Understand that in this world, we got enough darkness The people of Jesus don't need to be dark too. We're to be the light. We're to be the example. We're to be the fresh air. Will you stand with me? Sophia got it right. 
She understood what it means to change somebody's life can be as simple as smiling at them in the hallway or acknowledging someone who never gets acknowledged. Putting yourself last and others first. Seeing the things that you can do instead of seeing the things that others can do for you. Seeing the good in people instead of always just seeing the bad. Being the example. So I encourage you, I challenge you this week to look for those things in our lives. To ask God to really show us those moments when we can be fresh air instead of polluted. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for what you're teaching us today, and that's this, that that Christ, a, a life lived in you, Father, is a life lived different. That God, a life lived in you doesn't look like everybody else, doesn't feel like everybody else, doesn't move like everybody else, doesn't breathe like everybody else. But Father, we will be excited about your grace, and we will live a life in grace. That Father, we'll be excited about your joy, and therefore, Father, we will be full of joy. Father, we'll be excited about your love, and therefore, Father, can't wait to love others. God, we pray for those moments. Father, we pray for those opportunities. And that, God, we will move. That we won't be shy, but, Father, we'll be bold. That we won't wait and see if someone else will help, but, Father, we will take that step. That we won't wait to see if someone else says hi, but, Father, we will take that step. That, God, we will understand what it truly means to not grumble, to not complain, but, God, instead, to be kind and to be loving. Father, we thank you. Lord, we love you. God, may you receive all glory. May you receive all honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.